0: SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase Hey, greetings, and welcome into another episode of Sports Beat Kansas City, uh, the sports podcast from the Kansas City Star. I'm Ruston Dodd, the Royals beat writer, uh, down here at the general manager's meetings in uh, Orlando, Florida, and I have a special guest on the show today. We've chatted with, uh, we're kind of going down the list of, of noted Royals observers um, slash scholars. Uh, we've talked to Bob Dutton this offseason, we've talked to Sam Mellinger, and now I've got on the line... Uh, Ranny Gazzarli, um, of, uh, Ranny, I'm going to, I'm going to list your, your, your bio or your, or your resume, I suppose. Um, and I probably won't even mention your day job, uh, as a dermatologist, but I will, um, let's go so let's go down the line, uh, baseball perspectives, uh, Rob and the Rainy on mm-hmm. the Royals.com, um, Grantland.com, um. Have you written pieces for The Ringer? I suppose I um, have.
1: Most recently for The Ringer. When when I write, that's where I write now. But I'm what, mostly well, inactive.
0: What did I miss on the CV?
1: Um, I've written for you know, ESPN.com before Grantland. Okay. Uh, and you know assorted freelance work uh, elsewhere, but mostly you know my, my own blog, "Rainy on the Royals," which I ran from 2008 until until they won the World Series, and I thought that was the perfect time to uh, sign off.
0: Okay, well we're going to chat a little bit about the Royals off season and uh where this team is going and kind of the path they're going to take. But Randy, I wanted to ask you one quick question because you did get your start at baseball prospectus uh and in the Houston Astros uh recently won the world won the World Series with a few baseball prospectus alums in their front office. And I and I feel like we've kind of gotten to the point where every single World Series champion is a is in a some sort of validation of analytics um and i'm i'm not sure if that says something about how widespread they're in use now in, in across baseball or maybe it just says you know something about if you're going to win a world series you have to be pretty smart and you're going to be using some sort of statistical analysis in in doing that but um what the Houston Astros uh, are they a validation for analytics in your opinion
1: Oh, I, I, I would say absolutely. I mean, they. This is the third year in a row that a uh, the world, the world champion employed a former baseball prospectus uh, uh, person. Um, in fact, the Royals with Mike my Group, my group and were actually the first team. That's a trivia question I would not thought the answer to uh, being the Royals, but the first team to win with a baseball prospectus alumnus. Worth the Royals, but then uh, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, had Jason Parks in their scouting department, and then the Astros this year. But the Astros have three, like you mentioned. Like Kevin Goldstein is a good friend of mine, the pro scouting director, um, and then Mike Fast and Colin Wires, who are two of the really smart uh, analytics stat guys at BP. At BP uh, are both in that front office, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say you can't win without a BP alumnus, although that, um certainly seems to help, but. You can't win without analytics in the same way you can't win without scouts. I mean, you know, you're not going to see a team win without a scouting department. You're not going to see a team win without an analytics department anymore because every single team in baseball has an analytics department. Um, I think to me, the, the the war was finally over after the Cubs won last year because obviously, what Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer had done with the Red Sox way back in 2004 was really the first, you know, first huge victory for for analytics. Um, you know, Theo at that time was barely thirty years old and he'd been with the team for two years and had no scouting experience, um and did something nobody had done in eighty six years, but to do it in Chicago, you know, proving that it wasn't a fluke the first time around and to do it in a complete rebuild, unlike in Boston where he inherited a good team. But at the same time that the Cubs were winning, they sort of the last the last sort of holdouts against analytics, the three teams that really stood out were the twins. The Phillies and the Diamondbacks all had front offices that were openly sort of disdainful of, of analytics. All three of those front offices had been fired in the year before the Cubs won the World Series, and now all three teams have analytics-savvy front offices. So to me, sort of the war is over. It's not that analytics is the only way to win, but you, in order to win, you need as much information, uh, as much expertise as you can get. And analytics is a huge part of that. And like I said, you can't win without scouts, but you can't win without analytics. You need both. The best teams are the ones that really meld them together in, in the best way possible. Um, frequently by having uh, a, a general manager at the top who has experience both in the scouting world and in analytics. You think of Jeff Lunau in Houston. Um, start you know got his start running you know the, the scouting department with the Cardinals, but is a very very analytics savvy guy. Um, who who hired all of those people from a baseball perspective. So I think that the teams that use the best of both worlds and are able to combine that knowledge and part it's the players, do things like, you know, putting on defensive shifts, getting players to, to buy in to, uh, to some of what the data says um, are the teams that are the most successful. And I think the Astros, it's the third year in a row now that I think um, I, I can point to a team and say to use the analytics to very very good effect to win a, win a championship.
0: Yeah, you know, I was going to mention this at the end, um, a little bit of news today, the Royals actually lost their analytics director, or one of them, uh, kind of the head of their department, or at least right now, Mike Grootman, who's been with the Royals for about 10 years or so, and mm-hmm. so he's going to the Brewers to work in international scouting, a little bit of a different type. of change of a job although I think he's trying to diversify his skill set a little bit but I was I was chatting with Date Moore today about that and kind of what he was looking for in terms of restructuring that department or filling the, those roles and they, they've got they've got more like uh, this is something I wish I would have could have or would have written about more at this point but they have probably six to eight uh, kind of full time analytics guys um, mm-hmm. on staff right now but anyway so But Dayton, his his point today was that he would like to see the Royals um, be more invested in, like, research and development side of the analytics. Um, You know, obviously the the stat side is is part of that, I think. But um, is that, like, does that sound like a a useful um, move going forward? I mean, I guess we've seen, like, places like the Dodgers who basically have, like, an in-house think tank um, coming Mm -hmm. up with stuff. Um, but the the kind of the research side and, and those type of things is that is that a, a useful th- tool for an analytics department in 2017 uh,
1: I think it is I think the, 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 the problem with answering that question for, for for people like you and I is we don't have access to the you know workings of what teams are doing and I mean the Royals in general one of the, the big impediments I would think for, for you to write stuff uh, about stuff like this is the Royals tend to keep teams very close to the vest as you know. They, it's not that they don't use analytics, but they are very um, I don't want to use the word secretive, but that might be the best fit. Uh, secretive about what they're doing in order to maintain a competitive advantage, which all power to them. if you know, in, in pursuit of winning, if you need to be secretive, then that's great. It may be frustrating for people like you and I who want to know what they're doing, but I, I'm, I'm convinced they are doing things. They, they have Access to information that we don't know about, but teams in general now so much of the most groundbreaking um, research that's being done is being done in-house by teams that are keeping it proprietary. They're not releasing it, you know, to the public. And as somebody been, I've been doing this for now for over twenty years, it is such a it's such a weird feeling to know that you know we were on the sort of the cutting edge of baseball analysis twenty and fifteen and maybe even ten years ago because there was really nobody doing this in-house for major league teams. And over the last 10 years, not only do teams have, they, they've basically hired some of the best analysts from places by, like baseball Perspectives to do this work, but they have access to data now that we don't even have access to in the public domain. Nobody in the public domain has access to. Um, you know, we, we get tastes of things like spin rates and launch angles and the stat cast data, but that's just a little bit of the taste. You talk about the, the defensive evaluations that teams have, the data um, from where fielders are positioned to how quick they they move, you know, on first on uh, first contact of the ball, the routes they're taking, you know, statcast we'll we'll get a little bit of that information um, when you when you watch highlights on MLB Network, but just a, a tiny bit of it. Um, and then of course the stuff we're never seeing is a lot of the minor league stuff. I know teams, you know, the Royals have had, you know, a lot of. Uh, the evaluation machines and the cameras and all that set up in their minor league parks for years, and and I think most teams do now. And I think when you talk about, what when when Dayton talks about research and development, I wonder if what they're talking about there is evaluating minor league players, and not only just evaluating what they're doing now, but is there a way for them to determine which players have coachable skills, which players can be sort of... uh, Improved based on the data they've got, this player has a you know this player has a hole in his swing. You you can hit you know fastballs up and in. Whatever they can use that information to then go and and work with that player and and, uh, improve his skill set. I think that's the sort of stuff that they're talking about, which is a melding again of scouting and analytics, where you take the data to find holes in a player's skill set, and then you use the scouts and you use your your player development department to go out there and improve the weaknesses of a player um, but I'm just speculating and I don't think we'll ever know because the teams don't want us to know
0: sure okay let's let's get into uh, some discussion about this Royals offseason um, the did Moore spoke today at the GM meetings um, which kind of a precursor to the winter meetings where there's not a lot of action but there is a lot of discussion and talk about uh what is going to happen um and day-to-day kind of reiterated what he has said previously this offseason which is that the royals are going to um you know pursue some of their homegrown free agents Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, uh, maybe less so Lorenzo Cain, although they haven't said that on the record, but just from an age perspective and how that might fit into the window moving forward, he might be uh, less of a priority. Um, but he also said today that, um, you know, it might be more of a challenge than people kind of realize from the outside, essentially saying kind of the, the obvious statement that there are numbers, and there are places where, in in terms of salaries and payroll, where the Royals just can't get to. Um, and if the Royals, if Eric Hosmer is offered a, you know, a certain contract, the Royals are just not going to be able to match it. Um, but I, uh, we were discussing offline too. This is sort of the the fulcrum for the Royals' off season. Um, you know, I think if they sign. Um, or able to sign Eric Hosmer if his market comes back to a reasonable place if if the Royals value him more than about any other team in baseball uh, I think they could they could re-sign him and then that would maybe put a lot of other scenarios in play with whether they try to contend next year or um what what they look like but I I do think that they're not able to sign Eric Hosmer the likely scenarios that they they tear it down um and we can get into what a teardown, what the definition of that might look like. But I, I just wonder from your perspective, um, not necessarily what the Royals are going to do, because it's almost impossible to say here in the early weeks of November, but well, wh- what do you think the Royals should do? I mean, what does the ideal off-season look like? Is it, um, you know, Eric Hosmer having a press conference at Kauffman Stadium in a few weeks or in a month or two? And re-signing for seven years and 150 million, or is it um, is it potentially blowing it up and 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 rebuilding from the ground up and and trying to to rebuild uh, in in the same manner that they did a decade ago? What what say you, Rainey?
1: Well, like like a lot of Royals uh, decisions for the last twenty years, I feel like. The answer as to what they should do is a battle between my heart and my head, um, and my 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 head, but the, the, the natural pessimism, or or maybe some people would call it realism, of my head, usually proved right over the optimism of my of my heart, up until about the the moment they traded Will Myers away, and from that moment until they won the World Series, uh, you know. Uh, Everything that my heart could possibly have expected or asked for came true, and then over the last two years, I feel like we've gone kind of back to a a more um realistic scenario where some of the royals decisions, some of their free agent signings have been you know they they have not panned out the way you would your heart might hope, but more the way rational analysis would would uh, lead you to believe so. I have no idea what they should do. I'll tell you the two positions. Right? Is that my my heart says, yeah. But you know, Eric Hosmer is going to be 28 years old. He's one of the youngest free on the market. Uh, he's the kind of, the kind of talent he has. He's not a uh, you know unathletic kind of um, brawny slugger who you know might you know hit 30 and, and fall apart. He's the kind of beautiful swing does you know? Doesn't hits to all fields, very athletic at first base. The kind of guy you think would age really well. Um, and yeah, he's never had a season quite like he had in 2017. But what he did in 2017 is what we've kind of all been waiting for since his rookie year. He finally put it all together. There's good reason to think he can maintain that performance. He was you know a, a well above average player, and you know a 20 million a year. That guy's somebody you can still build around, and you can give him seven years and know that he's still going to be a good player in five or six years. Um, and I, I get that. Um, I, I get that optimism. You know, obviously, he won a World Series at the most, So, the same reason that, you know, I was, you know, absolutely thrilled when they re signed Alex Gordon. Um, I would be, you know, p- part of me would ab- be absolutely thrilled if they brought back Eric Hosmer and get to watch the, this guy for another half decade or more. But the more I look at this rationally, the more I just I don't see. A, a likely path for the Royals to win uh, to bake to the playoffs for at least the next two to three years and I just worry you know even a guy like Cosmer if you really want to pay him 20 million or more for the next three years in the hopes that three years from now he's still going to be good enough uh, he's still going to be worth the money to lead you you know to lead the next great Royals team especially when you're looking at a farm system that is still one of the worst in baseball the world but not having top 100 prospects uh, last year on the full American Stock Hunter prospect list And they're probably not going to have one they, uh, They've got They've got good prospects They just don't have any great ones It's, it's a sort of farm system where Their top ten If their top ten was were their Number five through number fourteen It would actually be a pretty decent farm system They're just missing the elite guys at the top um, Cosmer Are they going to bring back Cosmer into the stockets? Well, they can afford both of them, great, but you're still looking at a team that's going to lose Lorenzo Cain. And Lorenzo Cain, analytically speaking, has been their best player. He was the best player last year. He's probably been their best player overall over the last three or four years uh, because he provides the same offense he's gotten from Haver and the stock in terms of overall value, but with the, the defense and speed and the positional value of being a center fielder. So I just feel like you take a team that couldn't get the above 500 the last two years and, and frankly was lucky to be 80 and 82 this year because they were outscored by 90 runs you take out their best player maybe their two best players if you only bring back Hosmer um and there isn't a lot of talent coming through the, the pipeline I don't see how this team wins the next two three years the Indians look very good the twins have already kind of done their rebuilding process uh process and the White Sox are doing have have sort of I, I feel like the White Sox are almost a blueprint for what the Royals could do in that they turned they they finally decided to rebuild and they turned around and traded not just guys who were at the end of contracts but guys in the prime of their contracts Chris Sale um, you know going going to Boston and getting a couple of top hundred prospects Jose Quintana who was still under contract for a couple of years and getting Eloy Jimenez and suddenly the White Sox now to me look like a team that could be a force to reckon, be reckoned with in the in the next two years or so. So I don't, I don't see a path here until at least 2020, probably 2021 or 2022. And so anybody you sign now is you're, you're, it's gonna be a long shot for them to still be contributing four or five years from now. So my, my brain, with, with with every fiber of my, of my, you know, sort of rational, analytic, cold, robotic thought process, says you've gotta blow this up and start over. The problem, of course, is that involves trading guys not, not just not re-signing. Guys yeah, th- th- that's that's that's
0: yeah. That's what I kind of want to get into next. Um, yeah, it's how do you how do
1: you do this? How do you do this and not cause a, a a justifiable fan riot? I mean, you're not going to trade Salvador Perez. I just don't see. You know, I don't care how
0: robotic and cold my thought process. is. I
1: cannot see how you can get away with trading a guy like Salvador
0: Perez. I, I do think that there is a scenario where if you. This is where I think the Royals are, when they talk about the market coming back to them, I, I do think there's a number out there where you're not necessarily playing, you know, I don't necessarily think you're trying to serve two masters, but I think there is a scenario where you could realistically sign Eric Hosmer to a, I don't know what the what the numbers are, you know, is it six for 140 or... Um, You know, six for one hundred and twenty, I should say, or something in the in the closer to an average annual value of twenty million per year, and Mm -hmm. I I don't know that that would get it done necessarily. In fact, I don't think it would. But let's say in that scenario, you could bring him back. Um, I I do think you could potentially, if you had him for long enough, you could think that maybe okay, we'll turn this thing around in two to three years. Um, But it it is right because on the on the one hand, I, I. I think, <laughs> do you assign Eric Osmer and then turn around and, and deal Danny Duffy? That doesn't seem like it would make any much Correct. like much sense. So I suppose you got to figure out if you're all in or all out. And this is something I kind of want to write about in in, a, in, a, in in the next couple of days or at least in the next week or two. And I, I spoke with Rick Hahn, the White Sox GM, about this today. And I, I asked him about, you know, trading Chris Sale um, and, you know, the 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 questions that they asked themselves and the, the kind of the checklist they went down in terms of, you know, fans and season tickets and all those considerations that you have to beyond the baseball deal. And I wonder though it's like and he said at the, you know by the end it, it made too much sense and they actually surprised themselves by how much, you know, fans in Chicago like that, but Chris Sale did not help the White Sox win a World Series. Um Exactly. 3 years ago. And I I just don't know how you trade Salvador Perez or even how you trade Danny Duffy this offseason although I, I I the the more you think about it and the more you think about where the Royals farm system is right now as you said they don't have the top guys well how do you get the top guys well maybe if you traded Danny Duffy with four years of cl- club control and you traded mm-hmm. Salvador Perez with I believe um does he have another five years left on his deal um I think he's through twenty twenty two. If you four. count all the options, twenty twenty four. Like. I'm
1: looking. I'm looking it up now. Four. four years. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one.
0: Okay. Um. So those. That's how you could potentially acquire a couple of uh, premium prospects uh, in order to kind of kickstart this rebuild. And I wonder if if there is if you're going to embrace um, losing for a couple of years. Uh, maybe go all the way Um, you know I I I think you know as valuable as Salvador Perez would be over the next two seasons uh, can you count on him being that same valuable piece in um, 2020 or or 2021 and um, I I, I think it's a question that the Royals are going to have to ask themselves this offseason as they get deeper but obviously i think first they're going to exercise all options and in, in trying to retain some of these guys but i i do think it's i, I just think it's a, a question that they're going to have to kind of reckon with um as they get into december
1: yeah i mean this to, to me this is the, the the tax you pay on winning a title because you're you you're just your fan base everybody becomes emotionally vested in those players. And it's you know it's very difficult not just on a for, from a analytics standpoint but just from a human standpoint to you know trade guys away who were instrumental in winning a championship for you even if it's the right thing you know for for the team. You know, Bill Belichick would do this. Yeah. Maybe Billy Dean. What? Well, but, it... but Big More is not you know, for better or for worse. He's not one of those guys, um, and I don't think the Royals want him to be. I don't think the world want don't think world fans want him to be cold and calculating like that. Um, and I think, you know, even if it may be the best thing for them, because I, I think team I think fans, you you, you said what what Ratan was saying, like fans were surprisingly okay with it. I think any 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 baseball fan that actually has followed baseball here in the last few years would would have trouble getting too upset with a team that implemented a plan to build for the future. Even you know, I wouldn't call it necessarily tanking, but if a team was was honest and straight straightforward about what they're trying to do. I mean, just point to the Houston Astros. And, like, how I can think anybody you know, think it doesn't
0: work? I think that's a good point. And I, I think there's one part where that doesn't totally bear itself out, that argument. And that is uh, in the season ticket holders and in the stands. I mean I think there is there's a cost to be paid uh, to be really... There, there's
1: a short term hit, absolutely. In the there, answer is we're getting you know zero point zero rating. And actually that this is something that uh, you know hasn't come up a lot but may be one of the reasons why they're not trying to go this route is don't they have a they have a very large television contract that they're probably in the process of renegotiating that I think expires in
0: two years? Yeah, it's it's after the 2019 season, I believe, is the last year from now. So uh, that's a good question, too, although it's a good point, I should say. But, you know, you you talk to some people, and they will tell you that, um, you know, obviously having a good team on the field and having great ratings um, is good for negotiations, and it's good for getting other bidders involved in the process, I think, um, to potentially drive up the cost of what what those um, television rights would be. But I'm not sure that... I mean, I think the prime factor for the, the Royals getting a big contract is how many people live in Kansas City and how many television sets uh, the games sure. are going to reach. And I, I'm just not sure that that, like, you know, that's it's not going to change over the next two to three years. And I'm not sure that losing 95 games two years in a row, um, yeah, sure, you'd like to have that television contract be up right after the 2015 season, but um, I, I'm I, I'm not totally sold that that. If they lose for the next two years, that that's going to kill their negotiating leverage?
1: Well, I think they've certainly, I mean, if nothing else, what happened in 2014, fifteen? the ratings that they got showed what this market is capable of. That despite the low, uh, maybe the low raw numbers in terms of just the, the sheer number of television sets in the Kansas City area, the percentage of those sets turned to Royals baseball is one of the highest, you know, in the major leagues and probably will be as long as they have a good team on the field. So I agree. I mean, any team, any, any. Uh, negotiating TV partner that is purely looks at what happened in the past, you know, one season doesn't look a long term trend is probably not doing their job anyway. But I think that at the same time, until that contract is resolved, that kind of uncertainty may prevent them from going full bore. Um, but here's here's let me let me throw a scenario at you here. Like the, the kind of you talk about threading the needle here, trying to trying to do both at the same time. If let's let's just say Salvador Perez is sort of off limits. You, you know, they just—they're they're not going to. He's going to be the guy. He's going to be the face of the franchise while they do this, right? And maybe what they do, they even like start playing him, you know, half the time or a third of the time at first base, just to kind of keep his knees healthy, so that he, ha- so maybe he'll have the longevity that down the road when they are ready to win again, he's still capable of of catching. Kind of what the the Giants do with Buster Posey to keep him fresh. Salvador, I can I can see the argument that he's just not. You can't really trade him, but I'm not sure there's anybody else on the team that you can't trade because of their connection to the world champion danny duffy had a very minor role uh on both uh pennant winning teams you know duffy is the guy if you're going to rebuild he's the guy that you can put out there you know i I talked about what the red sox uh, the white sox did with chris sale and jose Quintana. i think duffy slots right in between those guys in terms of quality and he's a he's a number two starter not an ace but certainly there's ace upside there under contract for four years, you look at what the White Sox got for for sale in, in Kitana. I think Duffy could bring you back a similar return, somewhere in between, you know, a top, you know, a top twenty prospect and maybe another top hundred prospect right there. But then the other thing you look at, there are other guys on this uh, on this roster that you wouldn't think of maybe as, as trade uh, as trade bait. But I actually think if you're going to do this, the next guy on the list, strange as this may sound to me, would be Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I think. I mean, Merrifield, you know, four more years of club control, you're thinking, well, you know, he you know, just barely finished his rookie season last year, but he's already 28 years old. Like, he's old. Is he going to be good in four years when he's 32, or can you get something for him now when he's established himself as an above-average second baseman in the prime of his career and has four years? And he's not only does he have four or, I think, five years, actually, of club control left, but isn't even arbitration eligible for another year or two? So very inexpensive. That's a guy that maybe you can turn I, into, you know, some top prospects.
0: I had a, I, had, I had the same similar conversation with a, with a, um, sort of a pro scout with another team, um, and I think with with Wit, I think it's a great point. I mean, I think he does have some sort of value. I think, um, you the team that that. You have to deal him to has to really buy into the analytics and has to really buy into the numbers that and has to sort of disregard his his past as a non prospect and his mm-hmm. and and in sort of the the total package you somebody has to really buy in and i and I do think that might decrease his value a little bit on on the market even with the years of club control I mean I think there's so little downside <laughs> there's you know, almost zero downside to to acquiring him right now um with his contract status and so that I think that does bump up his value a little bit but I do think that reputations die hard in baseball and i I do think you that, know, that and maybe this is changing and maybe there's enough uh there's enough might be changing.
1: I was going to say, is you just think about the sheer number of players who have re- reworked their their swing, sort of what we call you know, the swing plane guys, have just gone just taken their game to a level that previously was thought impossible, and then maintained it. Everyone from J.D. Martinez to Daniel Murphy to Justin Turner and Chris Taylor with the Dodgers, and it, it's really kind of remarkable these last couple of years what we've seen with a player. You know, Merrifield was unusual in that he was in the minor leagues in this effort, right? So he didn't really have a, a established track record as a as an average. You know, thoroughly average major league player. I mean, when I think of average major leaguer, Daniel Murphy was sort of a poster child yeah. for that for like five years, and then you know, like sometime in like it wasn't even like between one year and the next. It was like late August, started hitting for power, and then was like an absolute, almost single handedly won the 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 NLDS and NLCS for for the Mets before the Royals shut him down uh, in, in the World Series, and has been a dominated ever since. I feel like we're seeing this more and more in that team. This is one of the things where I almost feel like the teams have data, have information that is allowing them or having allowing them to go to players and say, Look, make this change and you can unlock, you know, something inside you that you don't even know is there. And it's legit. I mean the guys who do this, it's it, you know, every time we see a guy do this, we think, Oh well it's a fluke, he won't do it the next year and he keeps doing it. I mean Justin Turner did it. Didn't didn't have a lot of respect for got uh, you know a very fair four year contract from the Dodgers and that looked like a, a huge steal because no one was completely bought into what he had done before he was a free agent and you know he's built on that so I'm wondering teams might look at Merrifield and, and be like he's one of those guys where the light bulb just went on he changed his approach the plate uh, and suddenly he's you know what you're seeing now is, is the player he is and you can completely throw out the four or five years of uh, as a mediocre minor leaguer before that.
0: I think that I mean I think there's certainly some some truth to that, and I think it's a good argument i i, I do think some of those guys, whether it's chris Taylor or Justin Turner, just the pedigree of the minor leagues <laughs> and i i I'm not even sure i d- I totally agree with this sentiment, but i just I just know how how baseball teams tend to operate and i i i I'm more making the argument that i i just, I'm not sure that Whit Merrifield's value is as high on the market as it should be based on how valuable. A player he's been for the last season and a half, and how cheap his contract is, and, and the club control. Yeah. Um, well,
1: here's the interesting thing: is that if anything, I, I almost wonder if this allows the Royals. Like the, the one advantage of, of considering the strategy is they actually don't have to implement this like right now in the winter. Like everybody we think about here that they would want to trade you, know, Danny Duffy. Like I said, Danny Duffy, good good pitcher, but. If you think he's going to he, every year, he kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more. and He's had trouble staying healthy. Like if he goes out and he starts the year, you know, just on fire for two months, his trade value. No, fair. I mean, yeah, if, you know, Merrifield goes out and does it again. You know, if Merrifield's hitting, has another Merrifield, you know, the same the same offensive numbers he has this year, next year through you know June that his value I think at, at that point he's he's for real teams thinking, uh, uh, will value him accordingly the other guy I would consider
0: scott alexander yeah well he's Again, a guy he's a guy that uh, don't, i would don't deal him this off season <laughs> you know deal him okay. next uh deal him next july if you're going to uh, right exactly um you, you know, know well, if, if you him, can if you i mean if you, if you, you, well, could, well, you mean,
1: trade if, him I was going to say you could trade him, and you could have Joaquim Soria and Kelvin Herrera, like all three of those. The Royals could basically rule the reliever market next year yeah. because if those guys are are healthy, Soria and Herrera at the, the end of their contracts, Alexander with tons of club control. But I feel like like the Royals can almost, you know, they they don't have to make the decision to go into the full rebuild now. They can wait till mid season next year because none of these guys are going to lose a lot of value because they've lost half a season of club control. If anything, they'll gain value if they legitimize what they've already done on the field and improve that they weren't a fluke.
0: I, I think that's right. I think, and I just, I'm going to make the counter argument to just what I said, because I said I don't think what Merrifield has as much value as uh, you might think just based on his statistical profile, but I, I I think he's a guy that maybe you you move in the offseason just because, I think the Royals made a mistake last offseason in the way they, they did this, but they, they traded a reliever in the offseason and they held on to their position players and what did we see happen well the position player market at the trade deadline was almost uh non-existent um right b- because teams have a 25 man roster and they have things that are set and they but everybody obviously needs relievers and starting pitchers as they set their pitching staffs for the postseason and I just think um yeah, th- there's there's probably more value um Kelvin Herrera and Scott Alexander next July and Danny Duffy if he has a great first half. Um um and and there's a lot of value there. But I, I do think there might be uh, maybe Whit Merrifield's the only position player that the Royals have uh, to deal right now that I, I, that has some value. Um mm-hmm. but he's a guy I think you could deal in the offseason. I guess Salvador Perez is in that too, but saying he's off limits um I think there is some value in in dealing your position players in the off season and looking for the best deal, because who's to say? Although Whit Merrifield is a versatile player and he can play a lot of places, but who's to say teams would would really be valuing him, you know, that highly, uh, you know, at the trade deadline and who's going to be in contention and all that. So,
1: but you know, that's th- a fair point, especially now that teams like more and more carrying you know thirteen, you know, twelve or even thirteen uh, pitchers. You know, like there's so few. Bench spots that it's just hard to in, in integrate a position player onto your team unless you have a very specific need yeah, or an for injury a very specific or yeah. position, right? And, and to trade a guy like Merrifield, it's not a it's not a one season, it's not a two month rental. You're looking at a long term solution. Um, that's the sort of thing where it's hard to fill. You know, hard to find a team that has an exact need, not just in the short term, but in the long term, and is contending. In July, whereas a reliever, like you said, every team can use an additional reliever um, or additional starting pitcher, and can can sort of fit that person in into their long-term plans as well. So that's yeah. an interesting point.
0: This is yeah, this is just a uh, kind of a a small pet peeve of mine because I've i thought about this a lot last summer as um, you know the Royals traded Wade Davis for Jorge Soler in the off season, and um, I mean you could you could just talk about that deal for ten or fifteen minutes, but but my, my larger point was that they, they traded Wade Davis in the off season. How valuable would he have been in you know, I guess he would have been a half season rental and it wouldn't have been significant. Maybe they maybe the value is not much higher than what they got. Um but you know, and then uh in hindsight they they went for it, so you, you can't necessarily knock them for this, but you know, what do they get for even one year of Lorenzo Kane, you know, deal him in the off season. Right. Obviously, you're not going to win <laughs> uh, if you if you deal him, and maybe that makes it more difficult. But um, I I don't know. I guess they did deal Gerard Dyson, and I think that was the, the right move, and they got something valuable back. Um, but I just I tend to think that deal position players in the off season, deal relievers at the trade deadline, and that's you'll 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 come out ahead in the end. So. Um okay Randy, let's wrap up here cuz I want to let you go and I'm, I'm going to get back uh to uh, a little bit of work before we call it a night here in Orlando. Um the uh, we've talked a little bit about the off season and the path that the Royals are going to go. Uh so maybe just put you on the spot. Um um I don't think I'll hold you to this, but where uh, if you had your crystal ball right now, where do you think um Eric Hosmer, Lorenzo Cain, Mike Moustakis, Uh and I guess you can even add a, Alcides Escobar in there if you'd like. Although you don't, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to guess him. But where do you think they will be playing uh, baseball in um, 2018?
1: Where do I think they will? You know, it's funny. I, you know, if you'd ask me two months ago, or, or any of the the big three, uh, let's keep Escobar out for a second, are coming back? I would said absolutely no way. But I'm I'm starting to get the the those sort of early Alex Gordon vibes with Hosmer, where it's like, it, it's not that teams don't have interest, but I you just I don't sense that there's the one team out there that has the financial wherewithal to make Hosmer the kind of offer that would just blow the Royals out of out of the market, and I get the sense that. So as much as Hosmer is, you know, respected as a very good player throughout the game, there, you know, there is concerns about the fact that you know he's very w- wildly um, uh, erratic and from one season to the next, he's you know never really strung two really good seasons together, and really prior to last year, he never had a season that was met his potential, and that no team sort of values him the way the Royals have. I feel like you know even when he wasn't hitting, the Royals have always been enamored with him, not just for his hitting talent. But uh, and not just his defense, but his personality, his clubhouse presence, everything he brings to the to the team, the clubhouse community. And if the Royals value, even with the Royals' limited payroll abilities, if they value him as much as they claim to, I think I mean, if they're going, they're willing to pay Alex Gordon eighteen million a year for you know for for at, at the age that he was. Here's Hosmer, who's I think four years younger. I can see I mean I, I think they they'd be willing to pay him twenty million, maybe twenty one million. It's a matter of how long that contract goes. And it it all it just takes it just takes a willingness to go if if at least six years and maybe seven. I mean I don't if he gets eight, if he gets an offer of eight and two hundred somewhere, he's gone. I just don't get the impression that's gonna happen now. And I get the impression the royals are willing will find a way to make it work if they can do seven and one forty, maybe even seven and one hundred fifty if it's back loaded and I, I would say right now i'm fifty fifty that he might be back. I don't think Moustacus uh, will be back at, in part because I think Hosmer's the the guy that they want first, and I don't think they're going to make any other decisions until there's resolution from 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 Hosmer himself on where he's going to go but if i had to, if i guess i mean I guess I'd put a higher percentage of Hosmer comes back to Kansas City than anywhere else Kane I would see I think of a, of a really you know smart team with a lot of money um Gosh, I could see him with the Cubs. I guess I could, I could throw them there. I mean, I, I think about what what you know they love when they lost extra Fowler last year and kind of faked it a little bit in center. They have Albert Almora who they love, but cause the Kyle Schwarber experiment in left field was kind of a disaster. I could see them moving Schwarber, moving Almora, maybe even moving Kane to left field and I mean, a great defensive outfield. I'll put Kane in Chicago. Just these are just I'm just throwing darts now, of course. Um, Mistakis, I could see you know, uh, you know maybe maybe reunion in, in uh, L.A. And, and he goes to Anaheim and plays for the Angels. The Angels um, have you know they just re-signed Justin Upton, and I think they want to rebuild that offense and give themselves a chance to win with Mike Trout uh, before he's a free agent. So I would I would guess Moustakis, uh to Anaheim and Escobar. I just I hope it's not the Royals because I just feel like the rumors of Raúl Mondesi moving to center field so they can play Escobar for another year or two. Just, Seems so silly. You don't move the the twenty two year old phenom guy who could be your shortstop for six years to a different position just so that the current not such a great hitting thirty or thirty one year old hitting you know thirty one year old shortstop gets to play there another year or two. So I would hope he. I, I could see him going to a, a a rebuilding team that just wants to have some defensive stability uh, in its infield. Um, I think I saw rumor the Padres might be interested. I could see a team like that. Um, that'll give him a chance to play every day because I think we've learned one thing from Alcidus Escobar—he really likes to play every single day, and I do mean every single day. Um, so I think he's going to value a place that gets him the opportunity to play every day, even if it's maybe a rebuilding team.
0: Okay, so, ready. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the big three, but before I okay. do, have, I do have kind of a weird question. What 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 kind of deal would Alcides Escobar have to get from the Royals? Like, what? How small would that deal? for you to say like p- fist pump like fist pump and say like, oh, that's a great deal. Like are like like, <laughs> like Fist <laughs>
1: pump? There <or laughs> literally
0: isn't a dollar value I was
1: Fist Pump because even if you were free, my concern is is, is he taking playing yeah, time okay, away? Yeah, that's very true. I know, but you know, what
0: if you know one it would have to be a, one, year, one year for one and a half million dollars, would you would you be a, would It you, would have
1: to be a value where it's like if they use him in a utility role, he's the valuable guy to have. Like two million or less. I could, I'd be like, okay, if they're going to use him as a utility guy and he plays short, but he also plays he's you know, third or second. and doesn't play every day at short, and they give Mondesi a chance to you know break in. I can see that having value, um, but he, he's he's a weird guy because it's not like he's a sort of guy where if he's if he's not playing every day, how much value does he have? Because his bat at this point is is so weak that even if he can play a good defensive third base or second base or whatever, if, if his bat is as weak as it's been with the past year, he's that guy, that's somebody you can start part-time. So, yeah. I just, I, I, I there's nothing that's going to me excited, but what if, if you What if, if he, to what if he with,
0: offered to pay $2 million to play for the shortstop?
1: <laughs> 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 and and, and, he, and he was released on opening day, yeah, I, I'd be for that. That's a, that's a good deal. No, I, it's not, you know, look, I mean... It, it, it it's awkward because you know the the heart, the the heart part of me wants to like never say a bad word about the guy. I mean, it, great great trivia answer. You know, in in Royals history, George Brett has the most postseason hits of anybody. I'll see you just for a second. Right? I mean, he has he he hit three. He's at three eleven in his in his uh, playoff career. Um, he was good exact at exactly the exact moment the Royals needed him to be good at the plate and bad pretty much all the other times. Um, so I have no no ill will towards him at all, I think mean, he, he leaves now. Um, you know he'll 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 be remembered very fondly in the or you know by by fans for a very long time. I just feel like where the Royals are headed, he playing time for him is more of an impediment than than you know pushing them in the right direction. Okay, and I don't see him accepting a utility role. I guess you know it, think, thinking about like unieski Battencourt uh, the second time around when they signed him to be a utility player, and apparently nobody told him and turned to do kind of a problem, and he got released midseason. I would hate to see that kind of an ending for Alcides.
0: Sure. Okay, I, I will I will put it this way with the big three. Um, I, I, I think all of yours were realistic. I think the one guy that I'm watching this offseason to dictate Eric Hosmer's uh, potential return to Kansas City, or just his free agency at large, is J.D. Martinez. Um, mm. I, I feel like very much, and in 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 I, I wasn't covering the team at the time, so I may have this incorrect. But I believe that the key move for Alex Gordon coming back to the Royals after the 2015 season was the Chicago Cubs signing Jason Hayward. Hayward, yes. So you're thinking, so where do you
1: think Martinez signing would stop, would would help the Royals?
0: I think the the Boston Red Sox are interested in a a middle-of-the-order bat, somebody that can anchor their lineup um, and give them a little bit of power and some Something to put around and all because Hosmer,
1: pieces. I think, would fit there, and I, I could see. I if you go to sign elsewhere, Boston and yeah. is one of the top. I th- uh, and I think, I think if you're
0: looking for the best fit in terms of a of, of big market that can give him the kind of contract he wants, he can give him opportunity to win. Um, he'll have a ch- he'd have a chance to win there, and he. Uh, I he, they obviously need a first baseman. He could hit right. balls over f- and that
1: the Green Monster. Yeah, the Green off. Monster. I mean, yeah, get like forty doubles and just yeah. just at home.
0: So I think that is the most logical fit for him if you're looking for a team that could blow the Royals out of the water in terms of a bidding war but I do wonder if if the Red Sox get more fixated with JD Martinez and believe he's a better fit if they sign him they're not as interested in Hosmer I'm not sure what the market looks like in that sort of situation and I feel like that's the sort of situation where it could come back to where the Royals are players I kind of agree with you I think Mike Moustakis is destined to sign with the Los Angeles Angels Um, and Lorenzo Cain I don't have a good feel for that one but I I, I do like your idea of the Cubs um, and I I, I tend to think that there's going to be a lot of suitors for Lorenzo Cain he's a very good player obviously but he can also play multiple positions. He can move to a corner in a few years if you really are worried about the the age with him and still probably be an above average right fielder um, with some some solid offensive skills. So, um, But I, 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 I kind of tend to think that he goes to the highest bidder, which is kind of an obvious statement when we were talking about free agency, but I also mean that from a fact that I think Lorenzo Cain is not necessarily. I'm not trying to say he's materialistic or anything like that. I'm just saying he's he's wise to the fact that this is his. Um, although this, I guess this is true for maybe true for Moustakis, older than the other two, right? Yeah, I mean, it's true for Mustakas and Hosmer as well. But I'm just saying that he understands this, this is his one time to go to free agency right. and cash in at at the height of his. Uh, he's not going to get a
1: second elite contract, whereas those guys could. Yes, uh, I
0: agree. and so. Um, I I tend to see him in San Francisco. I just feel like that's a place that wants to compete again and could overpay Absolutely. and could overpay for him. So that might be my guess for him. The other interesting scenario and I was thinking about this, um maybe I should run it by somebody that knows more about this than I do, but what if how about this sort of scenario? The market does not materialize for Eric Osmer, um and the Royals offer him, you know, 6 for 120 or something like that. You know, let's say it's 20 million a year. But in addition to that, they say, okay, we'll also give you an opt out after the second year right. of the which of which the I deal. I hate, but yes,
1: yeah, I I have a feeling the problem I have here with him resigning is if he gets that opt out, he might get the opt out at the exact moment they actually need <laughs> him. Like I said, that's true. They give him for three years. He plays well. The team isn't very good. They're about to contend, and then suddenly they either have to pony up. A lot more, or they lose him. So, but it just feels I've, I've, like
0: if the market is not there, the Royals would be that kind of team that would say, "Okay, yep, yeah, we'll we'll sign you, and we'll we'll give you the opt out that maybe making him even really want to come and back." I, and I feel like they've given opt out. Like I, I just I look at the opt out they gave to
1: Ian Kennedy. They gave an opt out to a pitcher they probably didn't need to give an opt out to a five year deal to a pitcher. You probably should, shouldn't have to give somebody an opt out. and They did, and I just worry that and and you know Scott Boras is the master of getting those opt outs and maximizing the client's leverage. I have a feeling any contract that Hosmer signs, almost anywhere, is likely to have it, but if he comes back to the Keith Royals, there's gonna be that three year opt out. And basically what it is, it's a three year contract with a player option and he's gonna hold all the leverage in the world in three years. If you're not expecting to win the next three years, is that really a wise move if you're the Kansas City Royals. You're taking on all the risk, if he falls you know, if he goes back to, you know, not hitting for power, hitting too many ground balls, you're stuck with a really expensive player who's not that good. And if he does play well, you're gonna have to find a way to keep him when you're actually trying to win in three years.
0: It is very it's a very good point. I don't disagree. Um but it is something that I, I think will could play a factor is if if he is if his market does come back to where the Royals could potentially be a player, that's I think something to keep in mind. So Randy, I, I appreciate the time. As always, I will let you get back uh to your family and your normal Monday night. Um always good talking to you, Rustin. For sure. We'll have to do it again sometime. But um, everybody out there, thank you for listening to uh, Sports BKC. Thank you to Randy for joining us, and hopefully we will be back soon. We might even have a, a another, hopefully a guest coming soon. Uh a former player from the uh, from the lost generation of, of Royals. Um, hopefully, we're working on it, so I don't want to promise too much right now. But we might have somebody coming on soon, so uh, stay tuned for that. And we will uh, be back soon with more episodes chatting about the Royals and their offseason. So, Brandy, thanks again, and we will see you soon. <laughs>